Hello, everyone. We are live for episode 30 of the Fitness Business Growth Podcast. I'm here with Nerida. How are you? I'm really well, thanks, Jamie. How are you? Really, really good. Now, me and Nerida have crossed paths at cafes in Newcastle, but have never actually sat down to have a chat. And what a better time to do it live on our podcast to share our knowledge with other gym owners. Cue the intro. Welcome to the Fitness Business Growth Podcast, a podcast run by gym owners for gym owners. My name is Mitch, and along with Jamie, we are your hosts, and we will be discussing all the important things that you need to run a successful fitness business. From marketing, to lead generation, to sales, to retention, to staff, and much, much more. So if you are a fitness business owner, then this is for you. We hope you enjoy the following episode, and we will speak with you soon. And we're back, Nerida. How are you? I'm really well, thanks. Very excited to be chatting to you today. Me too. So I think I've run into you twice. It was a cafe in Newcastle, and then just out the front of your gym once. And we've never actually had the opportunity to sit down to have a chat. So I'm excited to go on the the Lissome journey. Yeah, I'm excited too. I've always admired the work that you guys have done from afar. And it's like anything in Newcastle, you sort of know people, but it's hard to kind of get together and connect. So I'm really honored to be here with your audience today. Awesome. Well, Lisa, I first heard about Lisa it was probably 2015. I think a member was at your Newcastle gym and then came to our Curry Curry location. Oh, and my thought is, who is this Listen place? This Listen place. It took me years <laughs> before I realized it was Lisa We had a look at your Facebook, Instagram. We thought, wow, Nara does a great job. Um, and I don't say that often when I come across gyms profiles and think, wow, that's really about the members, not about the gym owner themselves. And gym owners, you know who I'm talking about, put your shirt on, (laughs) make it about your members, make it about your members. Yes. Yeah. That's definitely, yeah, that's definitely something that's been reflected back to me so much in my journey that I'm so focused on the members in the community. And it was never anything that I went into for my own you know, like, it's funny, I'm sort of like the laziest gym owner you'll ever meet. Like, I'm not somebody who actually is all that interested in fitness. I love the vehicle that it creates for people to come together. And I love getting fit and strong. But actually, my passion is really about the deeper underlying community, culture, togetherness, belonging, the journey that someone goes on internally, when they are a part of a community, and they are challenging themselves, but they're supported, that sort of growth period, that sort of you know, I suppose my passion. And it breaks gym owners' heart in order to realise that it's not about the hip hinge. Yeah, yeah. Hinge. <laughs> it, is, it is about the community. And what you said then is so powerful, the vehicle of fitness, because you bring people together. It's a better way to bring people together than going to a nightclub. It's a better way to bring people together than, than doing things that are actually affecting their health, which is why I love just group fitness in general. I do too. And it, again, it's just a vehicle. I see so many little communities and organizations popping up right now that are trying to create that. And it's so amazing, you know, to see, but yeah, like people, especially after the pandemic, people are craving connection and like to be known and seen and understood. And they're also craving adversity and hardship and like wanting to overcome their limits. So yeah, I, I, it always just sort of fit for me. It was eight years. um, And I learned so much about myself throughout that journey. It was incredible. We actually crossed our eight-year anniversary, July 2016. Oh. Yeah, so we are going to hit the decade, right. which is uh, wow. I haven't met, I haven't met many gym owners narrative that have been in the game for ten years. I know it's funny because I heard someone say once, "There's a seven-year itch," and I heard that, and I thought, "No, no, no, I'm going to make it ten years." And had the pandemic not come along, like that, really broke me. I may have, I don't know, but the timing felt right when I got out. But yeah, it was sort of around the seventh year. It took me sort of a year to sort of make that decision and sell. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's it's a hard industry to be in. So it's I think a lot of people people deplete themselves, overextend themselves, and yeah, it's challenging. Cool. Well, I want to go on the Lisome journey from day one to the day that you sold. Now, very few people actually exit a gym successfully, so I want to cover that. And then I want to cover what you do now since leaving Lisome. So Nerida, if I met you at a party and I said, What do you do? What would you say? Right now? Right now. 
Yeah, I would say that I'm an online coach and I help people to uncover, understand and uncover their limiting beliefs. So most of us have a block, a subconscious block in one part of our life and we'll notice that we'll be successful in other parts of our life but we'll be limited and sort of restricted and we'll have tension around one. And that's usually because there's lessons to be learned and the universe will keep bringing you the same lesson in some way, shape or form to get you to sort of work through that to heal and to sort of, find your wholeness again. So I work with entrepreneurs who are stuck in their businesses. I work with um, people in relationships who are stuck in communication. I work with individuals who are stuck in their healing journey and their mental health and really struggling with anxiety or depression. You know, any anyone that's sort of feeling stuck, that's who I help. I think the longer I'm in business, Nerida, is I'm so black and white. Leads and sales, leads and sales, leads and sales. Leads and sales fix everything. But the longer I go in business, when I work with other gym owners, sometimes leads and sales aren't what they need. They are stuck in a belief. Um, and I often find that it comes up in money more often than not. Yes. Yes. Before we get more into the beliefs around gym, the gym owners and people have in general, I want to start with Lissome. So at mm-hmm. one point before you sold Lissome, it was the biggest thing that sliced bread in Newcastle. Yeah. Um, it really was the most popular gym in Newcastle for all women. So how did you start Lissome? What year was it and what was that journey like for you? Yeah, so I have to sort of rewind back sort of nearly 15 years. So um, about 15 years ago, I came, I had been overseas, like um, living, doing the work, travel, you know, partying thing. I'd put on a lot of weight, maybe 20 kilos. Came back and this was before CrossFit was even a thing. And my partner and I at the time bought a house across the road from a CrossFit gym. And I had sort of been wanting to find, like I was sort of, I'd always played team sports. I'd always just naturally kept fit. And I was sort of struggling to lose this weight. And when I saw this gym, I remember looking out my window and and I was literally like 100 metres away. I could see women like lifting tyres, doing pull-ups, running, skipping, rowing. And I remember just thinking, oh, my gosh, that looks amazing. I want to do that. Like I just knew that would be the thing. Now, interestingly, I've got a very... It's interesting my sort of approach to it because most people are so fearful about walking into a gym for the first time. I wasn't. I was completely naive. So one day I just thought I'm just going to go over there and and just ask them. So I walked in and I was just sort of looking around for a coach or somebody of of authority. And I remember it was it was sort of became quite awkward. I couldn't find who I needed to talk to. Everyone seemed quite standoffish. And then finally a guy walked towards me, sort of looking me up and down. Mind you, you know, I was 20 kilos overweight and um, he said to me, how can I help you? And I said, you know, I live across the road. I just bought a house and I'm so like, this gym looks amazing. I'd really like to join. Like, this looks incredible. Like, basically, where do I sign up? Like, take my money. And he looked me up and down and he said, darling, this is not for you. Really? Yeah, of course. I was mortified, like embarrassed, humiliated. And, um, yeah, I'll never forget that moment. It was all I could do to, like, not cry and not sort of, you know, express. So I left and then, you know, I just remember watching this gym and just thinking, gosh, like, it'd be so good to train there. Anyway, fast forward six months, bump into an old friend at a barbecue and he had lost about 15 kilos. And I said, what have you been doing? He said, I've been doing CrossFit. And I'm like, damn it, like, I can't do that. It's only for fit people. And he was like, absolutely not. Come with me to my gym. And I, I agreed, but all week I was terrified of going. I was just look, thinking of any excuse I could come up with to pull out. And it was weird. It was like he read my mind. That morning he sent me a message and he said, I'll see you there at 5 o'clock. You've got the address. Don't cancel. I'll, be, I'll see you there. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like I've got to go. And I remember driving there shaking. Like I'm not an anxious person at all. I've probably been anxious a handful of times in my whole life, but I was literally shaking. Got there. And weirdly, I had the complete opposite opposite experience. The owner came straight up to me. Nerida, we've heard so much about you. Come on in. Introduce me to a couple of people. The first workout was something crazy, like five rounds of 400-meter run, 20 box jumps, 20 um, pull-ups, 20 burpees. It was mental. Halfway around the oval, everyone was finished their first lap on that first 400. But luckily, I had a bit of a sporting mindset. So... I just knew I was like, it's going to take me a couple of months to get back there. Like I I didn't judge myself. I was just really kind to myself. And then the last 20 burpees, everyone was finished and I'm sitting there like really struggling, right? Like I was really, I hadn't done anything for years and everyone gets down on the floor and does 20 burpees with me. 
and everyone's like counting down with me and I'm just like, what is this? Needless to say, I was hooked. I just felt like people came up and were high-fiving me, hugging me. It was just amazing. And it was just I needed that sense of belonging to just like enter into that sort of container. So anyway, I signed up and my coach said to me, what are your goals? And I said, I really want to lose 20 kilos. I was in tears. Like I just wasn't myself. And he said, no problem. So at the t- he said, go and sign up to a nutrition like, you know, um, coach as well. And so I signed up to Michelle Bridges' 12-week body transformation, which happened to start the following week. Signed up to the gym. I went every day, five days a week. And 12 weeks later, I'd lost 20 kilos. But not only oh. that, not only that, like when I look at photos of myself at that time, I was so strong and so fit and just I was so proud of the person I was and like what I could do. You know, my focus went away from what I looked like and I wanted, I was noticing, I was like, I wanted to get a hundred kilo deadlift. I wanted to get 10 pull-ups. I wanted to run a kilometer in under a certain time. So anyway, that my, gave me the- By the way, Nerida, my blood is boiling thinking about that first owner. I know. Like, you know what? I know, but now looking back, I agree. And now looking back, I actually see it was, full. I would never have started La Somme had it not been for that first experience. It's just like every gym owner I talk to, like I only want to work with motivated clients. Understand yeah. that you are the top 1% of people that enjoy exercise. If you want to work with motivated clients, there are not enough in your local catchment. Yeah. Like your story is so amazing. It's so transformational. And just give people a chance. Exactly. That's why I never judge anybody because I look at who I was that day I walked into that first CrossFit gym compared to who I was, who I am now, like, and it's light years, but it's because one person made me feel like I belonged. One person didn't judge me. One person made an effort to introduce me to a couple of people. And I think like, you know, what's ironic is I was a confident person. Like I wasn't scared about walking into a gym, but then all of a sudden after that experience, I was like, oh my gosh. So I think that's the number one thing that so many gym owners get wrong is they don't understand that. that I heard a quote once, the heaviest weight that you'll ever lift at the gym is the front door. And it's so true. Like that feeling of walking through the front door, seconds feel like minutes. Like having someone acknowledge you, having someone come up to you with open body language and a smile. You know, they've done research around doctors. They did a research um, study where they, they just noticed the referrals from doctors who you know, shook hands with a client, made eye contact and welcomed them in as opposed to doctors who stood back and just welcomed them in verbally. And the rapport and the trust that came from doctors making eye contact and touch, like shaking a hand or touching people on their shoulder was astronomical. So why are we not doing these things in the gym? Yeah, why are we so, not? Gym, yeah so gym owners need to improve their bedside manner. <laughs> exactly, 100%. Yeah. They need to understand I'm the one that needs to help this person feel connected in here. And that's the only thing that I think that made me successful. So anyway, in that time, I sort of, it was like, like, honestly, before I started that CrossFit journey, I was like overweight. I was depressed. I was so depressed. I was so lost and I was really struggling. And being a part of a community was the first thing to help me. I, I healed my body, right? So I got that confidence in my body and then I left the relationship that I was no longer serving me. And then 12 months later, I left the job. But Weirdly, I didn't leave the job thinking I was going to go start a gym. It was, again, an accident. I left the job. My boss said to me at the time, what are you going to do? And I said, I have no idea. And he said, you should be a PT. And I laughed at him. I was like, who would, like, I was sort of like, and he said, Nerida, you light up when you talk about burpees. Anyway, I walked into a women's only supplement store a couple of months later thinking, you know, I need to get, you know, some casual work. Like, I just was keen for anything. She said to me, she didn't have any work. We got chatting and I was blabbering on about, fit, you know, fitness and women and da, da, da. And she was like, why don't you start a boot camp with me? And I was like, well, I'm not a qualified trainer and I don't have any gear. I don't know anyone. She said, well, I'm a PT. I could help you run it to start. I've got a few slam balls and skipping ropes and I've got a list of 10 girls that we could message to see. And again, another person that just like sliding doors moment. Like I was so excited. I went home, texted 10 women and I said, I'm going to run this boot camp. Nobby's Beach, 6 a.m. Monday morning, $10 a session, eight of them showed up. And then it, it sort of went from there. You know, I ran that three days a week and I loved it. I'd find myself thinking about it all the time, organizing social things for us to do. And then the girls were like, we want to train every day. I, what, so, I, what year was this? Can I back up? What year was it? 2014. 2014. 
Okay. And at the time I, that I would say to them, why don't you come and train with me at my CrossFit gym? Because I was training at a CrossFit gym myself and they were saying, everything, everything they'd say would be like, no way, we're not going to a CrossFit gym. They were too scared. And then I started thinking, I wonder what a women's only sort of CrossFit gym would fit, would be like. So I posed that to them and they were like, sign me up. So weirdly, then it took me three months. Like I had to find a space. I had to become a qualified PT. Um, you know, I had to save some money. And then three months later, I opened a site at Ties Hill that was like 80 square metres. I had 50 members that I opened the doors with. And then it just continued to grow from there. You know, it was every expansion, every level of like growth. Um, yeah. And so that was 2014 in August that we opened. So yeah, it'd be nearly, yeah. It'd be nearly 10 years ago now. I love that story so much, Narita, because gym owners just need to comprehend how scared that person is. And that quote, opening that door takes minutes, not seconds. And you have three seconds to make that first impression of, hey, this place is for you. You're going to enjoy it here. It's not scary. Mm. There was that great CrossFit video on YouTube, Narita. It was like a really heavy metal song over the background. It was like the first ever CrossFit Games. And it was like people running through mud and jumping over logs. And that is what people still think CrossFit is. And you need to educate them before they walk through that front door. And you seem like a very, very confident person. And if you had had those feelings with a sporting background, what does the person feel like with no sporting background with 40 kilos to lose? And do you know what? It was so interesting because that taught me a lot. And even now, like, you know, I will go to gyms or when I travel, I go, I try to make a point of visiting a new yoga studio and it's interesting. And I had all my staff do this too in the time that we're working together. And it's so good to put yourself in that position again and again and again, because it helps you remember, oh, wow, this is what's coming up for me. This is what my clients must experience. And what I encourage, and one of the things that we did really well, I think, was we had, I remember one time going away, I was, I was away for a couple of weeks. And I remember I was looking at our Instagram and I remember seeing this girl that I didn't know and she was a bit of a weapon. And I thought, who is this chick? Anyway, I messaged one of the coaches and she said, oh, she's here on the raft. She's working for a couple of weeks and she just dropped in to do some sessions. And I was like, cool. Anyway, when I got back, a couple of the members had organized a birthday in town and so I went along and this girl comes straight up to me. She's like, are you the owner of La Somme? And I was like, yeah. I said, I've seen you. You've been training with us. And she said, yes. And she said, I have to tell you, I have trained at over 70 gyms throughout the world. I travel for work. I go to CrossFit gyms everywhere. She's like, I have not experienced anything like this community anywhere I've ever been. And that was when I really realized, I was like, oh, wow, this stuff happens even when I'm not there. I've, I've got our systems and procedures and policies in place so so well that even when I'm not there going, because this is the trick, right? And I think a lot of owners don't do this enough. Like when something's happening in your gym that you're not happy about, why? What's that bringing up for you? It's a value that you hold. Like one of the things that would really bother me is if I had a coach not want to be a part of the community, like if she was sort of like just there to train and didn't come to any social events, that would little, really yeah, bother me. A, a little too, too, too cool for school. Well, and, and that just goes to – that's just an underlying value that I have for community. So that – what that helped me do was I had to make sure I employed women who valued the community. You know, like another thing, growth was one of our values, excellence. Like I wanted my coaches to be open to reading books, listening to podcasts, going to seminars. And if, if I noticed any of them weren't open to that, it would cause resistance. Again, that's one of my core values. That's up to me to make sure I'm speaking these to my coaches to the members over and over and over again so that people know how to behave. So I got to a point where... I didn't even have to be the one going up and introducing myself to members. My members were doing it. They were so, they just knew. They knew, like we had this thing called the five second rule. So if you saw someone that you didn't know within five seconds, you had to go up and introduce yourself. And I just think when we implement these strategies and we talk about them a lot, it helps people to feel free to show up in that in that way. 100%. And it's just like, sounds so cheesy and so cliche every gym says they have a good community do you do you really like show me what what are the 10 things you've done the last 30 days to show me that you have a good community for us at breakthrough active we have a monthly event uh it's really great the one month is an annual charity trivia night one month is a dog walking day one month is to a newcastle knights game and just by having those monthly events it does wonders not only for your members 
friendships and their bonding, but also retention. Yes, and I agree. If you can make more money and create a great community, it's just a yeah. win-win that all gym owners should be trying to create. Because people are there for the people. Like anyone can buy some gear and do a workout in the backyard. Like anyone can do that. And what I say to people, because I get irritated by that quote a lot too, and my the way I measure community is think about your most your longest, most experienced member, right? The person that's maybe, you know, got the bit, the best skills, like quite, you know, quite consistent, been there the longest. How well does that person know the person that joined up two weeks ago? That cross-section, like how well do your top athletes know and com and communicate and connect with the new people or the older members? Like, you know, that I remember very clearly the very first CrossFit gym. I remember just this one day looking around and I was deadlifting and there was a guy to my right who was 80-something years old and there was a guy to my left who was 16. And I remember thinking, how cool is this? Like, look at, you know, it doesn't matter how old, how fit, how strong your background, it's just we're all in this together. So I would argue if your members don't, if you don't have a good cross-section and you don't have people constantly moving around and stepping outside, because it's natural, right, that people are going to develop little clicks. Like people are going to yeah. naturally, well, and that's fine. Yeah. That's you have, fine. You have to force people to partner up with new people. And, well, and, the word, and, and the word force is the wrong one. It should be the yeah. value of your community yeah. to encourage people to partner up with new people. And I think what we used to do was when we would have um, partner workouts, every now and then, like most of the time, we'd be like, you partner up with who you want. But then once a week or once a fortnight, we'd be like, right, you're going to find a partner and you're going to go out and find the person that you know the least about in this room. So go and find the person that you know the least and that's going to be your partner today. And that used to really encourage that cross-section because what you'd get is you'd get your top athletes joining in, training. And do you know what? Like when you're top, this is another thing I don't think people realise. We talk about, I used to talk about um, the, like the famous effect, right? Like you don't understand for you, you don't understand the minute you walk into that gym, every single, we, we do this thing called social, um, we, we, social scrolling, right? We're constantly scrolling our environment for who's in the environment. And we're, then we're putting people in order. And so you're the owner, right? So when you walk into the gym, everyone knows, oh, Jamie, the owner's here. Now, when your longest or most advanced member walks in, they are doing the same thing. They're like, oh, this person's here. This person's training in front of me, behind me. They notice everything that you do. Whereas, you know, for someone who's brand new, you might not notice that as much. So what we need to do is I remember the first time that someone that I idolised turned around and asked to partner with me and the boost of confidence it gave me and like, how excited I was. I will never forget that feeling. And so we have to create, we have to help our, you know, our best athletes remember that that sort of famous impact that they have on those people because yeah. they are giving back to your community by doing that every now and then. Yeah, you are a local celebrity in that community, in those four yeah. walls. People look up to you. Yeah. One thing that like gym owners say, oh, my workout's different, my workout's different, my workout's different. No, it's fucking not. It's not different. You're doing the same shit. you got, you got your conditioning, you got your strength, you got your cool down. So if it's all the same and we can acknowledge that and put our exercise ego to the side, yeah. why are people coming to your box and it's got nothing to do with the facility? Yeah, so do you mean this in terms of partnering up with someone or just in general? I mean in terms of like gym owners, they they, they still rely on their workout. Like there, uh, there's, a big, there's a new franchise saying it's better, different. You're still focusing on the community. Like you're not well, focusing on the actual workout. Yeah, I believe that if you're a gym owner, you really need to, to be training in the community. You need to be training in your classes. My pet hate is when I hear owners say, I'm, I'm jumping in on a workout. Nothing gives your members more like a feeling of belonging to something than having you do this. It's like I heard Jason Khalifa say it once, being a gym owner and not training your own program is like owning a restaurant and never eating there and going eating somewhere else. It just doesn't make sense. So, and, and think about it, right? Like the quicker you build it up so that it's scalable so that you can do that, so that you've got coaches running your classes, the better. And I mean, don't get me wrong, every now and then, if you want to go and train on your own, go for it. But I really do believe that the majority of the time, if you're training in your community, you're, you know what's going on. You know how the coaches are coaching. You know what's happening in the in the group. You know the vibe. Like I used to be psycho about walking in and noticing like the environment and the and the sort of like energy that every single coach 
would create. And I used to have a thing where every week I would do a different class with a different coach. So I'd sit down at the beginning of the week and I'd be like, all right, when's Ash coaching? She's doing 6 a.m. Monday. I'll train in that class. Tuesday, so-and-so is coaching at 9.30. I'll do that class. It's your job to make sure that they're bringing that energy, enthusiasm, coaching standard that you want to see. And so, yeah, I, I do believe, I mean, yeah. So to give people an example of just how Big List Home was at its peak, you went from the 80 square metre facility in Ties Hill to, was the next one at Carrington? Is that where it was? Yeah, yeah. next one was Carrington, which was 400 square metres. Okay. And, and yeah, at your, at your peak, how big was List Home? How many members did you have? How many staff did you have? Because I think people would struggle to understand why you were so passionate about values and systems and procedures because most gym owners are, are one, one location, run 90% of sessions and have a part-timer. Yeah, no, like it's funny. So many gym owners talk about like like sort of um, hating, sort of giving away control. I was not like that at all. Like, again, I was not, you know, in terms of like being a trainer, I was not the most knowledgeable. I was not the most business savvy. I had no idea. But what I love to do is bring people together and watch people shine in their roles. And that's what made Lasson so unique. So at our highest, we had I had two sites, Newcastle and Maitland, both operating at 250 members. And I had a team of 15. So I had one area manager who oversaw both of them underneath me. And then I had a manager at each site. And then I had coaches at each site. They did not cross over. They stayed and trained and were part of those communities. So we had two separate, you know, social media accounts, like group groups, you know, in-house groups. Um, and every now and then we would do social events where they would cross over, but generally they were two separate sites. But yeah, at the height, we were managing 500 members and 15 staff. It's a big operation, Nerida. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. One thing that I've discovered even more so consulting with different spots all over Australia. And I noticed that in Newcastle, Adamstown and Cardiff may, may as well be on different planets. Yes. <laughs> Did yeah. you experience it with Newcastle and Maitland, just the difference? Yes. And do you want to go expand on that? I remember going and watching. I remember, so funny. I remember going to a, a networking event and a lady that owned a few um, furniture shops was there. She happened to open one in Maitland. And then she thought she'd open one in Newcastle and she was, her journey was about how she thought they'd both be the same and how they weren't. And it was a big shit fight. And, and yeah, she basically was, and I remember thinking to myself, that won't happen to me. Not like, it's not going to be my story, but actually it was. Maitland was so different. And I was lucky that Newcastle was so well set up that I could go out there and be there. But in hindsight, now looking back, I can see that I threw my manager in the deep end there without enough support. Like she had, and because she was quite confident and, and capable person, like I, she was so capable, I just assumed she was fine. And actually she really wasn't. Um, so that was one thing that I really learned. But, yeah, they were very different. In Maitland, we, they, people depended on the crèche. Like that was something that was super important where it wasn't as important here in Newcastle. In Newcastle you had a younger demographic. You had women working in the city, coming to and from work, um, you know, they really needed shower facilities. Maitland, not so much. You had We had more mums and more, you know, sort of an older demographic. So they were very, very different. That is, that is such a great lesson for anyone who's opening a gym. Like, yeah. We experienced so in Adamstown to Cardiff. So Cardiff is Maitland. Mums, families, creches important. Adamstown yeah. is 95% renters of people that are at Newcastle University. Yeah. So before you go open a new gym, open a new franchise, look at the area first because it just yeah. – it is 100% different in each location. We opened Nerida, Curry Curry, Cessnock, Walls End, Warners Bay, Edgeworth, uh, Cardiff and Adamstown and Berkeley Vale. And wow. every single pre-sale were 100% different. Yeah, so interesting, isn't it? Yeah. yeah we, we run the exact same ads at Cardiff, the exact yep. same ads at Adamstown. One yep. successful, one bombs. Wow, super interesting. So every yeah. location is different. And I think that before someone opens a gym, Spend a little bit of time first, yeah. really looking yeah. through the area. Go go have a coffee in the area. Go look at other yeah. businesses in the area. Look at other gyms in the areas. Look at their social medias. Look at what they're posting. Look at the comments. Just yes. people dive into opening a gym narrative far too quickly when what you did is exactly yeah. what we did. We opened up this shitty little boot camp that just yes. grew, and grew and grew and grew and grew. Yeah, well, that's what weirdly... 
I had the boot camp in town that started the gym and I ran that for free, right, for three months while I was opening. My friend said to me, no one knows who you are. Like you have to run it for free to get your name out there. And so then I did the same with Maitland. We ran a boot camp up at Maitland Park every Saturday morning for it would have been eight or nine months because we had such dramas with our DA. But it was true. Like I would go to that area and I would knock on the doors. And this is one thing that I think, like I'm older, like I'm 40 years old. So I tend to connect with people on a face-to-face value so much. I'm born and bred Nova Castrian. I've always worked in roles where I have to talk to people. And I think what so many people get wrong these days is they don't want to talk to people in their neighborhood. And I think that is such a big mistake because running a gym, you're going to have lots of people coming and going. It's disrupting the neighbors. The better you build a community, a relationship with a community around you, the more welcoming they're going to be. So I would talk to the neighbours. We knew the local cafe. We'd take our members down there every chance we got. And it was just you really need to build those relationships because it helps you later on when you come into difficulty with a council or with whatever, like it does help you. And also it's nice to have a good be on those good terms with people in the area because, yeah, like you're supporting them. You're bringing something good to the community. So I think that's another thing a lot of people don't do. So... When I was promoting our podcast, I spoke about our gyms growing at the exact same time. And I feel as though that we are polar opposites. Yes, we are. You were very, you you were community values and vision first. And I was Facebook ads and sales first. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I guess, how did the community, how did the values, how did that transition into your, your marketing and sales process? Yeah, that's a really good point. And, um, you know, it's interesting. There's a quote I love, the growth comes from the opposite of what you normally do. So had I met you five years ago, that you would have actually probably helped me a lot in the last five years of my journey because that was an area that I really struggled with and I and I didn't know. So that's something I probably needed to lean into. Um, but what, what changed my trajectory was having a coach. The first time I signed up to a business coach was, yeah, it would have been five years ago. And she really helped me to understand, like, oh, my gosh, I think about who I was before I met her and who I am now. She was so pivotal pivotal in my journey and my growth in becoming a leader. Um, and she, you know, I would complain about things and she would say, well, why does that bother you? She would just ask questions and go deeper. And that's when I understood that I had these core values, but I wasn't expressing them and I wasn't teaching people or talking about it. So we built a framework. We first did a really cool core values framework session with our whole team, which was amazing. I'll never forget that day. It was just such a bonding day for the whole team. And also it helped the staff to contribute and feel like they were part of the mission, which was so good, which is what I take all of my clients through when they run a business. Um, And we came up with our three core values. And it's so interesting, right? When you've got a list of like 10 values on the wall that you never really talk about, you're not living by them because there's too many to sort of go through. So what I recommend is that you come narrow it down to three or four, and then underneath that, you might have other values that fall underneath that. And we came up with a framework. We decided we we're going to focus on one value per month, and we're going to talk about it in our social media. We're going to talk about it in our meetings. We're going to talk about it in our briefings at training. So our, commu- our values were community, excellence, and courage. So say, for instance, we're talking about courage, right? The month for courage. We would talk about it in our social media. We'd prep the girls and we'd say, look, girls, there are some handstand walks coming in. There are some pull-ups coming in. Why, you know, and some of that might bring up a bit of fear for you and that makes sense. What we're leaning into this month is courage. What does courage look like for you? Does it look like coming and giving a go when you normally wouldn't? Does it look like trying that next level that you've been wanting to try but been holding back? We talk about it on social media, then we talk about it in our briefing. When we're briefing the workout, we say to the girls, like, this is the intention today. We're leaning into courage. And so what it does is it just plants that in people's mind and then before you know it, they're showing up bigger, more powerfully, and then they're having a more transformative experience. So, so just to clarify, the month was courage. You would yeah. effectively tell a story on social media about courage. There would yeah. be fit, healthy women in your gym still showing courage, doing things like handstand walks. Yeah. And your idea would that would be resonating with people that follow your page, people that see your stuff. If that person is still feeling yeah. uh, like they're struggling, I, yeah. I, I can try to. Yeah, yeah. It's like showing, you know, it's talking about courage, but it, at whatever level that looks like for you. Courage might be coming and doing the week trial, like just trying something new. For our, one of our advanced athletes, it might be 
you know, doing a handstand walk and failing in front of 30 people and just not letting that, you know, shame sit with you, like whatever it was. It was just trying to impart some sort of lesson in every single day that you're showing up. And we would make sure that it filtered on into every part of the business. So we would, every month we'd have a member of the month and that member of the month would be rewarded off the back of that value. So, hey, we're giving Jamie this award because he showed up, he did this, and this was a sign of courage. So we're celebrating courage in the gym. We talk about it in our staff meetings, in our social media, in our newsletter, on our podcast. So it was just, it became this huge sort of like very um, sort of powerful you know, lesson that would just last the whole month and then we'd switch on into a new value. So because we're revisiting them four times a year, we just, they people started to live them. You know, they really, really did. And how did that translate into generating leads? Was it through your socials, posting stories, reels, DMing? Was it ads? Was it referrals? What do you feel like was the main source of your growth in terms of generating new people walking through that front door? Well, the two things that the two biggest like um, avenues that we used to attract members were word of mouth referral. A lot of our members used to bring their friends, which was such an, a sign of like that was such a powerful thing to see people saying, you need to come to this gym that I'm going to. And social media. We had a lot of women that would share their own journey, their own successes, and that would, you know, get so much traction. So one of the things I think that you do when you talk about your values, you attract the people that have similar values and you repel the ones that don't. You know, I remember this one day someone coming to the gym with headphones in and, oh, and, you know, I was sort of like, get out. <laughs> like it, it's a community thing, right? Like we're a group fitness. So that just, I had to show courage in coming up and dealing with that and, and not judging or shaming her, but just explain to her, this is actually the sort of place that, you know, this is what, we're all about and this is why we show up here and this is what we value and interestingly she left and but she came back six months later what she actually shared with me was she was feeling a huge sense of like anxiety so her way of putting her headphones in was a way of soothing herself so it's so interesting right because in the past I would have judged her I would have been like oh my god how rude go away go and train at an end time fitness but because I'd done all this work on myself and I knew I had to have a conversation with her, she was she was able to open up to me about what was actually going on for her. So I, I really suggest anytime as a gym owner you are being triggered by something that's happening in your community, ask yourself two things. Why is this bothering me? What am I, what's my value that it's rubbing up against? And ha, where's the responsibility? Have I not communicated this is important enough? Because so many gym owners get so frustrated, but then I look at their social media. And I'm like, how are you teaching people that this is important? I don't see it. You know, every month we would have a scheduled post reminding people to be on time for their class. Every month because we just knew it was something that needed to be reminded. So yeah. it's you, have to, you, have to, you have to teach your clients how to be good clients. Exactly. And, and that is following the values that you stand for. Like some people might not value community. They might value other things. And that's fine. Whatever it is. What people need to understand is there's a culture that exists within your business, whether you realize it or not. And if you're not actively creating it, chances are it's being created for you by people that you have no control over. So it's in your best interest to get a hold of it and, and, and control it and influence it. And it's so easy to leave a gym, but it is very, very difficult to leave, leave a community. And yes. when gym owners talk about we have a great community, we have a great community, do you really like yeah. what is your attention? What is your churn rate like? And yeah, yeah it's just it's just something. It's, it's a it's a word that people throw out far too yeah. often without actually yeah. trying to cultivate it. Yes. Like just like cost per lead, cost per sale, cost per acquisition. They are tangible numbers that you can track. It's yeah. very hard to track your community, so you need to do those intangible things. Yeah, and also too, I don't think you know. I see a lot of people talk about their community, right? Um, and every month they go out and they're binge drinking together. And I think, okay, cool. What about your mums and dads? What about the people that don't drink? That You've got 30 people that are out, but if you've got 150 members, there's 120 that are not a part of that. What's going on for them? Are yeah. you creating, like I love what you said, that you've got a range of different things. Are you creating ways for your members to connect and spend time that are varied, you know, that are not focused on alcohol? that are active, that, you know, are you mixing it up? The times, like we would, every month we would change it up. One month we'd have a social event on a weekend. The next month we'd have it on a weeknight. The next weekend we'd have it on a weekday morning. Like we would change it up so that 
you know, depending on people's schedules, everyone had a chance to sort of tap in and, and attend. So, you know, all these little things that people don't really think about are actually, you know, and, and do they sur- do you survey your members? Do you ask them how they're going? How, how well do you know how they're receiving your coaching and how they're feeling when they come into the gym? You know, we didn't used to call our members until the last couple of years. And then the last couple of years, we started hearing like complaints and things that they want to change. One thing was we heard a lot that we wanted people, people were saying, hey, I don't want you playing music that has swear words in it. And I was like, wow, that's never even crossed my mind. Now I'm super They can get out. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, me coming from a, like I came from a CrossFit gym, which was like a dungeon, which was all that heavy metal screamo music. I personally love to train that way, but I realized how polarizing that was. Like, and when we surveyed our members, there were like 15 women that were like, yeah, that actually really bothers me, but would never speak up about it. So it's like how safe, you know, Google did a beautiful, um, article once only a couple of years ago about the most successful companies and organizations and they were like what is it that makes them is it the way that they do they employ a mix of introvert introverts extroverts ambiverts do they employ people on disc profile do they get across an age range like what is it and the one thing that they found was that the most successful organizations had one thing in common and that was psychological safety can they speak anything that's coming up for them without fear of retribution And I know that I definitely didn't have that for a long time. I definitely sort of was more controlling and and I sort of had my, I was setting my own ways until I started to like, like do a lot of my healing work and understand communication on a deeper level. And so the, the ability to which your members can come and complain is actually a sign of psychological safety. And can you hold that or does it trigger you? Does it bother you? Because I see so many gym owners getting really bothered and I get it. It, it is upsetting, but can you create space for that and encourage it? Because I would it's, argue that's a sign of good community. If someone says they want to cancel, it's too late. But you may have picked it up 12 weeks ago if yeah. you surveyed your customer or you had great coaches that were aware. Well, In terms of... not showing up. You know, I used to notice people would withdraw for like six weeks before they would cancel. They would not be as present. And that's because emotionally they're already starting to feel. And, and another thing you've got to understand is when clients are making complaints, they're usually not really about the complaint. What they're feeling is disconnected and misunderstood. So a lot of people complain about the program. What's actually going on for them underneath all that? They might be going through a divorce. They might be going through, you know, some mental health challenges. Like something else is almost always going on. And if you can create space and understand they want to connect with you, and you want to get to know them and what's going on underneath that, boom, you can help them move through it. It's really true because when someone complains about something, all of a sudden they've got 10 things they complain about. It's never just one thing. Yeah, and it's never really about the thing. It's like in partnership with relationships. When your partner complains that you're not doing the dishes, she's not really upset that you're not doing the dishes. There's an underlying fear that she's scared, that she is worried that you're not seeing her, that you're not respecting her, that you don't care and love her. That's the underlying issue. But we're just unconscious to that and we make it mean about the dishes. It's never about the dishes. One of the hardest things with Jumona's I find narrator, and it took me years and years to get over this, was getting a cancellation request from someone that you actually care about. Yeah, it's and really I think hard. that is the hardest part about being a Jumona. And then yeah. the sales and marketer inside me had to say that, well, like if 10 people leave and 10 people join, life yeah. is good. But still, yeah. it still hurts. To this day, yeah. we have members. Yeah. And it's not even the fact, it's, it's got nothing to do with the money. I truly hope they continue their exercise elsewhere. Yeah. But the likelihood of them staying on track, staying accountable, getting the same service that I provide at Breakthrough Active or you at this home probably isn't going to be there. So what would your advice be to gym owners to deal with a cancellation that's a little bit personal? Yeah, I really feel this one because, you know, obviously for me, our community was everything. So, you know, I would find myself spending my personal time with some of these members and coaches and I definitely didn't deal with some of those um, circumstances very well. Like I actually can look back on some of those moments with a lot of shame at the way that I handled it. I was, you know, years ago I was very emotionally immature and I took so many, so much personally. I took things so personally. And I think what we have to understand is a gym, like what we probably create, is sort of like a blend between a sporting club and a business. 
So it's like you've got that like that sporting club feel about it where it's like you've got the community and you go to events and you, you know, you share your life together and you're competitive and you're going through all these challenges, but it's still also a business. So I think the first thing is just to validate it for yourself, just to sit with it and actually acknowledge like, wow, this feels like rejection or this feels really hard. This is bringing up a lot of shame in me or a lot of fear because often if you lose one member that might be well connected, you might be fearful that more will leave and that's so normal just to validate that. Well, I that's think- a great, yeah, that, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful thing because like your, your OG member that you've loved for five years, they cancel for reasons outside of your control. They join the new gym on the new corner and then they're encouraging people to go there with them. Yeah. And they are so disconnected that that membership, that payment, those friends that are paying fall to our bottom line. And yeah. as a gym owner, it is so <laughs> like, you're not going to show them your P&L. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it is so personal. And for Mitch and I, it's one of our favorite quotes. If it doesn't matter in five years, mm. don't let it worry you for five minutes. Yeah. And that's easier said than done. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. for, for me, like, the day that I stopped caring about cancellations as much was the days that I knew I could acquire members. Yeah. At the and I think that if you have 10 members leaving, you have 10 members joining, obviously it still stings, but it makes life a lot better. Yeah. I think it's really, yeah, I think, you know, what, what you're saying, it's two polarities, right? It's like knowing that more members are coming, but it's also validating that like you had a relationship with that person and there might be some fear around whether that relationship can continue, whether they're at another gym. It might bring up a lot of resistance for you. I'm sure, you've, I'm sure you've noticed the friendships continue beyond the gym. Beyond yeah, the gym. Some, well, sometimes they do, sometimes they don't, yeah. and that's okay. Yeah, and the worst thing for gym owners, I'm speaking, this is my, my yeah, heart from 10 years ago, was of like course. you know the person for 10 years, like to whom yeah. it may concern. Yeah. <laughs> like you yeah. know who it is, you know my name, motherfucker. Like, <laughs> Yeah, it's it's so it's so valid. And I think it, what I started to do when I started to get work work through this was I used every single loss as more motivation to make the place as amazing as I could. Every time I'd lose someone, I would try and ask myself, like I would try and actually have an honest conversation with myself as to could I have prevented this? Like how was that member feeling in the lead up? Were there complaints that I wasn't listening to? Is there some need that's gone unmet? Is there some disconnect that I can honour for them? How can I let them go in a way that's as the door is always open if you ever want to come back? And I didn't do that well a lot of the time, so I'm just going to own that. If anyone listens to this and they're like, bitch, I know I heard you did this, this and this, like I 100% can acknowledge I did not handle a lot of this well. But as I started to move through and, and get better, that was my journey and then I said to myself, I want this place to be so good that anyone that leaves regrets it and and they look back and wish that they were back here with us. And not in a spiteful way, but in a way that was like, I want this to be the best gym that it can be. And that did, it just fueled it. And do you know what so many members say? Like, do you know what I find so interesting? I've had members that were with me for four, five, six years that have gone onto other gyms and they haven't been able to last 12 months. They've been bopping around and that's a good, and they say to me, nothing will ever come close to La Somme. And I think what happens is when we would get members from other gyms come to us, they'd be like, wow, this is so amazing because they would appreciate what we were doing. But if you had someone come to us first, which we tend to attract, and then they went elsewhere, I think that they didn't realize like the effort that we went to. So it was like the grass is always greener sort of version. But yeah, like I just tried to make the place as good as I could, like just put everything into it. And we would get a lot of people come back or we would have people say like, wow, that was, I still have people talk about that chapter like it was so special. So, mm. yeah, but I think the biggest thing you've got to validate is, is that it's so normal for that disconnect to feel hard. And it's just when you learn to validate that for yourself, that can bring like sort of calm the emotions that it comes up that come up for you. And it's removing your identity from the business. Yeah. For, so long, yes. for so long, I was Mr. Breakthrough Active. If the mm-hmm. gym was good, I'm a good human being. If the gym was bad, I'm a bad human being. And just understand that they are two different things, right? <laughs> yeah, your worthiness is not dependent yeah. on, you know, that. Yeah, I'll tell you something wild, Erida. In 2015, we got our first location to 509 members in 12 months. Wow, that's incredible. But here's the incredible thing, Nerida. 2015, Jamie was very immature, very unorganized, didn't understand a lick about business. It was the perfect location 
perfect time, perfect storm. Yeah. And what I've found from lots of the OGs that open gyms pre-2015, they mistake their success in business for being a really skilled business owner, removing the fact that it was the perfect time. It was the perfect storm. Yes. Over the last eight years, as more competitions opened up, they've yeah. failed to evolve. Yeah. And yeah. they're talking about the good old days. Mm, and yeah. even I think that's something that all gym owners should be listening to. Like how you run a gym pre-2015 is so different to eight years later. Totally. And being the first to market yeah. does not make you a great business owner. It is mm. opportunity meets luck. Yeah, new level, new devil. You know, I think that in this journey, like you you have to re like shed the old and rebirth the new every single time. Like every single time some sort of resistance, like if you're not making money or you're having issues with your staff or whatever's going on, it's always inviting you to look and learn and grow through that. So I agree with you. And I was definitely guilty of that too. You know, I probably was running my business in autopilot and sort of doing the same things for like the first few years. It wasn't until I, and that's why I value what you do so much because you do need coaching. You need someone who can see your blind spots to be able to sort of bring things to light. Like we need support. And I think I wish I'd gotten that sooner because when I first stepped in, when that sort of changed for me, everything changed. But, yeah, you're right. Like some of us get lucky and, yeah, we need to invest in ourselves because you can only, like when I look at the gym, right, athletically, the programming that I would run, the girls would sort of rise to meet that same level. You know, I look at it like I train at Steel Coast now and, you know, back when I had La Somme, I had no interest in doing high-level gymnastics. So we all sort of rose to the same level that I was at. We didn't really go beyond that. But now I'm at Steel Coast. I'm watching women who are snatching 60, 70 kilos, doing muscle-ups, like doing crazy things. Why is that? Because the owner there is athletically raising a higher bar. So you can only take the business energetically and, you know, financially to the level that you've invested in yourself and the people that you surround yourself with. So I think like what I would love to see more of in Newcastle, which I, is sad, we don't see more gym owners collaborating and coming together and, and rising together because the rising tide lifts all boats. So mm. when we stop, when we take away that competitive sort of like fear, scarcity mindset and we start understanding we can lean on each other and learn from each other and grow, then I do think we will experience more success, more joy, more fulfilment. 100%, 100%. I just think that gym owners, every gym owner I talk to in Nerida, they're so passionate about their modality of fitness. Yeah. And if you truly believe that CrossFit, Pilates, BFT, F45 is the best style of training, if you believe you have the best community in town, it is your obligation, your duty to have the best marketing, the best sales, to get more people to discover that you exist. Uh, yeah, like, totally. You need, you need to bring more awareness to your business. Yeah. And I'm still annoyed at that first owner that spoke to you so poorly yeah i know <laughs> your job isn't to train motivated people your job is yeah. to help someone take them off the couch and help them become that person they want to be my yeah. job is to help successful gym owners my job is to help gym owners that like have a hole here a hole there plug those holes and mm. become the they want to become yeah and you're right like when we understand who we're here for and who we're meant to help and support and we keep our vision on that then we're less, you know, sort of distracted and we're able to show up more powerfully. And, you know, it, yeah, like so many people say that when I share that story <clears throat> and I it, sometimes I am hesitant to share it because it, I don't want it to reflect badly on CrossFit because I actually have so much, um, like CrossFit's changed my life and it, I feel like it's done so much for women in terms of, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't have seen this many women strength training. You wouldn't see this many women walking around and feeling confident about their bodies, like wearing booty shorts, crop tops. Like women have learned to embrace the way that they look and focus on what they can do rather than what they look like, which I think is so incredible. But, and, and now I look at that guy and I know him, like I see him around and it's so sad because this guy had so much knowledge, so much wisdom, but he only had it for select people. He was such an elitist. And, you know, no one in the community, like I was a part of the CrossFit community for a decade. I would go and support every single event. We hosted charity events every year. We'd go to comps that other gyms hosted. You know, I can look back and, and look at nearly every gym in Newcastle and know I have a pretty good relationship with most gym owners, whereas this guy did not have that. So, 
you know, it's it's actually sad for him. I actually pity him because his impact and his influence could have been so much bigger. But that limitation, and that's actually something within himself. The judgment that he projected onto me is actually judgment that he has within himself. That's all that that is. And at the time, it was very painful for me. But you know, now coming back and looking at it, I can see that it was one of the best things that ever happened to me because it taught me what I did. Sometimes these things that happen to you are teaching you what you don't want more of. And so it actually propels you to go out and show up in the opposite way. I would never have been so conscious of creating a community where people belong if it wasn't for that moment. That imprinted on me in time. Yeah, we had a similar experience. We were consulting before it was cool in 2014 for gyms and we worked for an Anytime Fitness in Kokori and there was a guy there. He was 50 years old, jacked out of his brain. Like he looked like the typical gym and me and Mitch had full books as PTs and there was one day we had a client and I was on the leg press with them and he was just getting anger and anger and anger that we took his leg press. And And he just couldn't fathom that like skinny 23-year-old males could be training all these clients when he had no clients. Yeah, And yeah. you can just step back and realise that it's not about the equipment, it's not about how you look, just because you can train yourself doesn't make you a good coach. Yeah. So you, so did, you, you, did you reach out to him and, and offer to coach him through that? Oh, no, nah, I didn't, Nerida. That's a shame because <laughs> he probably needed someone like you to yeah, come along and to help maybe. him work with But it, it's also good to be underestimated because – he probably could have helped, got some help with more lead generation and sales. <laughs> well, it's funny, right? Because, you know, one of my one of my clients, she is a high-level CrossFit athlete and coach, and she used to have this thing about people coming to her gym and taking knowledge. And, and I, I would ask her, I'd say, what's really important to you? Why are you doing what you're doing? And she's like, well, I want to help more and more people move better. And I'm like, well, do you? Or, or do you only want to help people that are paying you to, and coming to your own gym? Because if you actually believe that you are here to help as many people as possible, you won't mind, like you will be okay with having other people come in and teach them so that they can go out and teach others. Does that make sense? All of a sudden that expands your impact. So, you know, I always say to people, notice what you notice that no one else does. I would say to her, if there are people here wanting to come, like if there are business owners from other gyms wanting to come and learn from you, you can make more money from that, but you can also help them have a better impact on their gyms when they go out and they're better coaches because of you. So it's yeah. this. It's, sometimes we can be so limited in our view. We want success in a certain way, but when we start to let go of that, we start to understand, I want this no matter how it comes back to me. That's when we start really showing up as our highest self. So you sold this home last year or the year before and you transitioned into more coaching and coaching is a very, very broad word. So like what is, who is your perfect avatar? What is your niche and what do you do? Yeah. So um, I love that question and I still sort of struggle to answer it myself, but I think my sort of ideal client is somebody who's in business who's sort of struggling to like expand and grow. They're getting, they're stuck. They're working in the business. They're having issues like with staff. They're not noticing, they're not able to uphold boundaries. They're losing money because they're undercharging people or whatever that is. Um, You know, I tend to like, that is always down to our self-worth. It's always a bigger piece of a puzzle. So helping people to overcome that and start to run their businesses in a way that you know, is like, I am passionate about helping people have a bigger impact on the earth. So, you know, if I've got a client who runs an eyebrow, like a brow waxing clinic, and, you know, we've taken her from pulling in a monthly income of like $7,000 and servicing, say, I think 100 clients a month to now she's, she's created an online course, she's grown her staff to 10 people, she's now making, you know, $80,000 a month, through her online courses and she's coach, she's actually servicing three times the, the amount of clients. And she's also employing all these women that love coming and working there. So really helping people to understand their true potential, come out of their ego and fear and actually see the bigger picture and um, show up as that full version of themselves. And I also work with some people in relationships and I also work with some people in their mental health journey. Like, you know, people talk about anxiety and depression and, and I don't want to under um, sell this at all, but 
you know, anxiety and depression, I encourage my clients to let go of those terminologies. Anxiety is actually a repressed emotion of fear. You have felt fear, chaos, instability that you have not processed or actually accepted and worked through. Depression is often decades of sadness, neglect, loneliness. You actually need to process some of that sadness, lean into connection, connection with self and other, and start to become less isolated. So working with people to let go of those labels and heal is also another thing I'm deeply passionate about. Anxiety is such an interesting one, Nerida. I've got a few friends that suffer from anxiety and I, I'm no psychologist and I'm not going to get cancelled here. But <laughs> I often say to them, like, imagine if I didn't show up to the gym for seven days, doors were locked, members were reaching out, calling, emailing, texting me. All of our FBC clients were calling, emailing, texting. I came back to 3,000 Slack notifications. If I ignored them for seven days, treated Ellen like shit, put me in a straitjacket by day seven, I would be a wreck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I, just, I think a lot of anxiety comes from not doing the things that we know that we should be doing and they just pile up and pile up and pile up to this big overwhelming moment where, where, we, where we snap. Yeah, and, and I think what you've said what you've, is 100% correct and I think what so many people struggle with, the number one thing I see in the world, we are so disconnected from our emotions and people with a lot of anxiety don't even register that they're feeling a lot of fear. Anxiety is fear that you feel in the body. So when you actually start to acknowledge that, label it, make space for it, breathe through it, wow, I'm feeling a lot of fear right now. How can I ground into myself and make space to sort of just breathe and take a moment to calm myself? Most people are work living lives where they're so distracted and disconnected and they're constantly avoiding being with themselves. So they don't have a good relationship with what's going on in their emotional world. So I, that's the number one thing I see. We And when we feel anxious, we project that out and we actually blame other people or circumstances outside of us for feeling that way when actually we'd be better off just expressing, I'm actually noticing I'm feeling really anxious right now. I'm feeling really nervous. I'm feeling just a bit chaotic. I need to just take some space. And sometimes, sometimes. Sometimes for me, if I'm feeling anxious, it can be that I'm just putting off one tough conversation that I don't want to have. Yeah. yeah and then, you, and then you have and then you have it and you feel better. Yeah. yeah. And just, again, more, I invite you to just I yeah, again more, invite you to step back and just say, why am I feeling so anxious about this conversation? I'm worried about disappointing them. I'm worried about potentially saying something I'm gonna regret. I'm worried about, you know, how this is gonna what this is gonna mean for our relationship. Of course, that makes so much sense. How can I now move forward taking care of them and taking care of me? How can I do this in a way I love to teach people the shit sandwich? You know, something positive, the boundary or the hard conversation in the middle with something positive moving forward. That serves us in such a powerful way to have. And there's a great quote, the quality of your life is in direct relationship to the number of uncomfortable conversations you're willing to have. And it's so true. Like, the more we have these uncomfortable conversations, the more connected we are, the more understood we feel. You know, I have a client, right, just yesterday. She owns a beautiful beauty studio and she invited me to come out and have a massage after our appointment. And I was really excited, but I was also noticing I was feeling really anxious. She And I thought she's just going to have one of her staff, you know, massage me. It won't be her. And then I get out, like, on my way out there. She's like, I'm going to do the one, do the massage today. <clears throat> and I'm noticing I'm feeling really uncomfortable about that. So I sat with it and I asked myself, what is it about this that feels so uncomfortable? And it was that she's such a petite woman. I was fearing that she was going to judge me because I'm not petite. And so I knew, I was like, I need to bring this up and air this with her to clear it. Normally I wouldn't have. What I would have done is I would have shut that up. I would have pushed it down and the whole massage, I would have been so anxious and in my head. But because I was able to just verbalize it with her and, I, and just say, hey, I'm actually noticing this is coming up for me. And she was like, wow, that would never have crossed my mind. She's like, I just can't wait to touch you and like give back to you. I see how much you do for people. All of a sudden, that was a connecting moment rather than being a disconnecting moment. Mm, just have the this enough. Yeah. Well, Nero, we've got about five minutes left. I've got two questions to ask you. What question should have I asked you that I didn't ask you? Um, it's a good one. Um, I think that question alone is really good. <laughs> yeah. Um, great question. I'm going to, yeah, that's a really good question. Um, 
oh geez I've had the whole episode I've had this whole hour to think about this and I still don't know but I think um I think really you know asking oh geez I really don't know I think do you know what a question I really like what keeps you up at night what fears do you have because I feel like that's a connecting sort of question and um yeah I've got some like I'm on this journey just as much as anyone else. Like I've got my own fears and my own doubts about myself. You know, I'm in relationship with people. I mess up. I make mistakes. I've still got a lot of shame from my childhood that I'm processing. And so I think what what so many of us coaches, I think one thing that I hear a lot from my clients is, oh, I love that you share so much of your own journey. I'm constantly sharing with the moments of my own shame and my own lack and my own doubts and fears and it helps us connect. So yeah, I'd probably say that question. It's a good question. What keeps me up at night, Nerida, is not having a business that allows me to be a great dad. Yeah. That is that, my number love, one driver. I love to do that. What, I value that so much. To do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, with my future child that I haven't got yet. Yeah, I value that because for me, the family unit is the number one thing that like I value so much. When we learn how influential having a connected family is in community, we will start to heal generational trauma. So I love that you're valuing that so much and I really honour that about you. What is the best piece of advice you could have gave Nerida in 2014 before she opened up her free boot camp? Yeah, I would have said get coaching sooner. <laughs> I would have said it's going to be a lonely, tough journey. There are going to be nights where you'll be awake all night, playing conversations in the back of your mind, worrying about paying the rent, worrying about the decisions that you've made. And I think when you've got people to lean on and, and the other people that sort of help take that shame away, like I remember the first time I admitted, you know, that I was worrying about making some sort of payment and I had a my business owner share a story with me that he had gone through and it just helped feel, I just, oh, I remember that moment just thinking, oh, I'm not a bad person. I'm not irresponsible. I've just made a mistake here and I have support to move through that. You know, someone said to me once, um, Nerida, ride the lows, like, you know, and do it in community because the thing about Newcastle is there are so many people that want to help you succeed. So find those people and it will make the journey so much better. One thing I always underestimated was Mitch. Yeah. Having someone on my side. Yeah. Yeah. we, We ride those lows together. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, and if you have a coach and you have a great relationship, they can understand your business at the same level you understand it. Yeah, and it is so hard to go home to your home to your partner or your family and say, "Hey, X Y Z is happening. What should I do?" One, they don't really care. Two, they can't understand. Three, their advice just doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, they don't have the knowledge or the skills to support you. So having people that have been in your position before and can support you or even just witness you as you're going through that. Most of us actually just want to be listened to. We actually mostly want to do the work ourselves to figure it out. We just want someone to witness us and actually validate and empathise with how we're feeling, what we're processing. But often we know what we need to do. And that's yeah, the yeah, sometimes it's just asking them for permission. Yeah. You get the thumbs up and then absolutely go for it. Well, Nerida, yeah. I really, really enjoyed today's podcast. We've run late. We're both chatterboxes. Thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. Thank you for having me, Jamie. It's such an honour. And I just acknowledge you for all the work that you do to support gym owners to be more sustainable and successful. It's amazing. Thank you so much. I really, really appreciate it.